Welcome to the Autism Empowerment Podcast, your source for acceptance, enrichment, inspiration, and empowerment in autistic and autism communities worldwide. Wherever you identify in your autism or autistic journey, Autism Empowerment is here to meet you along the way. We're an autistic-led podcast, 501c3 nonprofit charity, and publisher of Spectrum Life magazine. In today's episode, we'll be talking about the importance of autism-related support and support groups for autistic adults, youth, parents, and family members. We're going to be covering nine points to ponder in the journey for connection. Whether you're looking for connections with others experiencing a particular challenge, looking for resources and referrals, or you're hoping to develop some new friendships and relationships, support forums and support groups can provide great benefits. Join Autism Empowerment podcast hosts, Karen and John Krejci, for this discussion. And we're up and running. Hello, John. How are you doing this fine day? Oh, I'm pretty awesome despite the rainy weather. And the great thing is that I'm already done with the distribution of Spectrum Life magazine here in Oregon and Southwest Washington. Well, it's good to have you back home and in the studio. Yeah, at least it's not raining here in the studio. Well, you never know. (laughs) (laughs) If you're listening in and you didn't get a chance to hear episode two, we talked about Autism Empowerment's nonprofit publication, Spectrum Life magazine, so be sure to check that out. You can read a free copy of our current and past issues at our spectrumlife.org website. John, was it different delivering magazines this time around? It was very bizarre. Obviously, it was all masked up, and there were certain places that were closed, a lot of hand sanitizer everywhere. It was just very different than any other distribution I've ever done before, for sure. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize that in addition to putting the magazine together, we actually do the distribution, and John's been doing that for the last four and a half years or so, and I would imagine that this time was a very different experience. Lots of plexiglass. I even had a dream one night that I forgot my mask. So So now that you're done with deliveries, it's time for us to update that find a copy section on our website. So if you happen to live in the Southwest Washington or Portland Metro or even Salem area, you can check on our website at spectrumlife.org, find a copy and figure out where you can pick up an issue. Of course, you can still read for free online at our website as well. So thanks for taking care of that, John. Oh, not a problem. We're starting to get in a groove now with these episodes, and today we'll be doing episode four. My name is Karen Krejci, and I'm the executive director and co-founder of Autism Empowerment, as well as one of your hosts for today's podcast. I'm here today with my husband, John Krejci, who is our programs director and other co-founder. We're going to be talking today about support groups and what to think about when you're starting to look for a group for yourself or for a loved one. Specifically, we're going to be going over a spectrum of support nine points to ponder in the journey for connection. So whether you're an autistic adult that's curious about support for yourself, or you're a parent or a family member or friend of somebody who's on the spectrum, we're hoping that you'll find something in this show for you. John and I have both been participants and leaders in a variety of different types of support groups over the past decade. We've also spent a lot of time on online forums and in online support groups. We've learned a lot along the way, and our hope is for you to be able to benefit from that knowledge. For now, I'm going to go ahead and turn this back to John to take on the primary duties of asking questions today and helping keep us on track. I'd be happy to keep us on track today. I have a couple of quick questions first before we get into the nine points, if you don't mind. What is one of the most common challenges that you've seen within the autism communities? 
John, this is a tough question, but I would say that by and large, one of the most common challenges is a feeling of isolation and loneliness, feeling like other people don't get what someone is going through, they can't relate to their circumstances, and that they just don't have anywhere to go where people can understand them. Now, that might be as an autistic adult feeling like you're in a world that doesn't get you. It might be a parent who's just had their child diagnosed and can't go to any of their friends because none of their friends have kids that are on the spectrum. It could be later on in life when a significant event happens and you're just feeling different and you're not feeling connected and you're feeling alone. It could be when you're going through anxiety or depression and you just want to have someone to talk to that's going to get it from that autism or autistic lens. Isolation and a feeling of loneliness doesn't have to be. There are a lot of really great support groups out there. And by and large, over time, people have shared that support groups help them feel less lonely, isolated, and judged. The good news is that when you find the right support, it makes the isolation less. I believe that we can all benefit from support and community, and we also can feel good when we give back to others through sharing our own experiences. That's so true. That makes a lot of sense. You said once that the autism spectrum is not a one-size-fits-all. What about support groups? Let me first of all clarify the one-size-fits-all. What I'm saying there is that the spectrum is diverse and we're all unique. Therefore, if somebody's seeking support or therapy, it's not going to be one-size-fits-all treatment. There's a saying by Dr. Stephen Shore, if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. What that means is there's commonalities and there are differences, but there's no one-size-fits-all plan for addressing challenges as each person is unique. Carrying that thought a little bit further, different support groups and forums are going to appeal to different people. You're not going to have one support group that is going to be everything for everyone. For example, there's very different types of support groups. Some are professional-led, some are peer-to-peer, some groups are in-person, and some are online. And with COVID-19, many of these groups haven't been able to meet in person. So online support groups have become very popular through services like Zoom and Google Meets. Forums are picking up again in popularity too, particularly with more time for people to browse the web. So forums like Wrong Planet and Reddit are seeing more activity. Again, none of these are one size fits all. You have to think in advance on what it is that you're really looking for to be able to weed out some of the groups that may not be a good fit. Sometimes that takes a lot of exploration. You're not going to necessarily find the right group for you right away. But you need to be open to the fact that if you don't find the right group the first time, that's okay because there are many groups out there. And I think a lot of times people think, oh, no, there's no support in my community. And that really isn't true. You just have to know where to look for it. And you have to be having a plan in your mind on what might be the way to be able to go ahead and do so that's going to match your particular needs. That makes a lot of sense. Each person is different. So that makes sense that each type of group would be different as well. So, John, to that point, dynamics in support groups are often fluid, and experiences change depending on a variety of issues. For example, if the leader of a group changes or a group meets in a different location, who shows up at that group one night may be very different than a regular that might show up another time. So it's going to be different from time to time. So you're not going to have the same experience from time to time, and that's important to consider as well. Absolutely. So how can a person start to find a support group or support forum that's right for them? 
In 2017, I wrote an article called A Spectrum of Support, Nine Points to Ponder in the Journey for Connection. I wrote that for our Spectrum Life magazine spring 2017 issue, and I'll go ahead and put that article and links to it in the show notes. The article was meant as a starting point for a person to really consider what factors are most important to them. What are the must-haves? What are nice-to-haves? And what are deal-breakers? My suggestion is to write these things down because they're going to help you assess your current priorities and they're going to help you save time and energy down the road. Once you have your priorities, you can meaningfully continue in your search. All of the things that we're going to be talking about, the nine points today, these are all going to be in show notes. You're going to be able to link to it. I don't expect that people listening in are going to have a pen and paper (laughs) handy. So just listen and absorb and think about it. It gives a starting point. Once you have these priorities and you have a time to sit down and really reflect upon them and determine what's important to you, I think you'll find that our next episode's also going to come in handy because at that point, we're going to be talking about questions you can ask yourself or others to vet certain groups or forums. We'll also give you some quick and easy search engine tips to get you where you need to be. Strategies to encourage a loved one who seeks support. I know it can be very difficult sometimes. If a person doesn't want to seek support, it makes it very difficult. You can't force them to do that. Finally, we'll also be talking about benefits and pitfalls of different types of groups. So that's what we're going to be doing in the next episode, but we're going to go over the nine points in this one. So this was all pre-COVID-19 for our listeners. Some things have changed since then. So can we go over those, starting with those nine points now, care? Sure. You made a good point. The article was written before COVID-19, and so it was probably geared more towards that in-person group thing, but it certainly did cover the online groups as well. So I think that you'll find that the vast majority of what we're covering here is still applicable and can be applied to online groups, Zoom gatherings, forums, and the like, as well as when in-person groups start to meet again. Fantastic. So what is the first point? The first point is affiliation. What I mean by that is, are you looking for a support group that's affiliated with an autism nonprofit, with a healthcare provider, with a place of faith, a place like a university, a center of excellence, something that's government related, something that is related to another entity? Because benefits of affiliated groups are that they can often provide additional educational components or connect you with other programs and services that you wouldn't be able to necessarily connect with otherwise. So for example, from a government standpoint, there's a lot of funding that goes into parent-to-parent or parent training centers in the United States. Maybe you're looking for more of a casual setting. You're not really looking for an affiliation. You just want to hang out with a, a few folks that you feel are similar to you. So many of those parent-led or autistic-led groups and other interest-based meetup groups, those types of groups will meet at homes or restaurants. Not now. (laughs) (laughs) But they'll meet somewhere out in the community. So generally speaking, you want to know, are you looking for something that might be more educationally based? Not to say that the ones that are led organically can't be, but there's just different things to consider on whether you would like an affiliated group or not. I think the next one is audience. What do you mean by that? So as far as audience, it's more of what type of audience you're looking to be hanging out with. Are you looking for a general autism group or something that's more specific? Are you looking for a support group that speaks about autism-related strengths and challenges only or perhaps something that's cross-disability? Because a lot of us on the spectrum have a lot of co-conditions. 
There's a lot of different types of learning disabilities. There's mental health issues. ADHD is very common. There's overlap with sensory issues and a wide range of other types of health conditions. So sometimes you may find benefit by not just being within a group that's autism specific, but groups who have parents of children with other disabilities or you're an adult on the spectrum, but you're with adults with other disabilities. So that kind of thing is important too. There's a big difference between parenting a preschool or an elementary school child or even a birth to three child, than there is in parenting a teen or a tween or even a parent of a young adult or an older adult. We can definitely benefit from having people in our groups that are a little bit older and have been there, done that, and can help you try this. So it's things to think about. Absolutely. Also, in terms of audience, you may be thinking beyond yourself, but maybe there's a family member that you feel could benefit from support. Sibling support is something that's common. Are you an autistic adult who would like to talk with other adults who are not autistic? Are you curious about maybe just having a respite night, having a mom's or a dad's night out? There's all different types of groups created for different types of audiences. Next comes demographics. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so the demographics ties in with audience members in terms of what kind of audience might be there. When you think about demographics, you're going to look at are the attendees single? Are they married? Are they with children? Are they working? Are they stay at home? Are they students, young adults, millennials, Generation X, baby boomers? From a location standpoint here, for example, in the Southwest Washington, Portland metro area, there's a big difference a lot of times in the culture of people who come from Portland and perhaps Southwest Washington. You may find rural groups, urban groups, suburban groups, white collar, blue collar, no collar, kind of sounds like episodes of Survivor. (laughs) Things that are really important to some people might be to have an intersection with faith. It might be a specific faith or maybe a non-denominational type of group. Also, when you think about demographics, are there intersections with other groups that might be of importance to you? For example, if you're looking for a Spanish-speaking group or perhaps you're in the LGBTQ community or BIPOC, all of these different types of demographics are going to impact your conversation topics. So do you have a preference? If so, what is that preference? And if that's not important to you, that's fine, but it's something for you to be able to think about in advance. In real estate, it's all about location, location, location. So what about location? (laughs) (laughs) When it comes to in-person groups, location can often be critical. You're looking at things like convenience, safety. If you have to drive to it, is there free parking or do you have to pay for parking? If you don't drive, is there access to public transportation? How far are you going to have to walk from a bus line? Is the meeting in an office building or are you going to be having to go to someone's home? And what might that mean? Is it in a particular part of the city where there's a lot of other things around? And would there be accommodations if you need it? For example, I've seen a lot of support groups over the years, the ones that are more casually set up, meet in restaurants and coffee shops. For me, that isn't really a good fit because it can be so noisy and so many smells. But lots of people really like that and that works for them. So that's something to consider as well. Some people actually have support groups in their own house too. Yeah. That is very common when it comes to faith-based groups, I've found. There's some people that are just more inclined to want to bring people into their home and socialize. And then there's others that really, that would be the last thing that they would want to do (laughs) is to go into somebody's home and socialize. Thinking about that location, often that can be a real deal breaker. It's interesting because in our area, we live in Vancouver, Southwest Washington. When we first were parenting our children in the autism journey, we were open and willing to drive to support groups and to events 
events over in Portland, 30, 40 miles away, doesn't really seem like a lot when you're meaningfully connecting with other people. Quite frankly, if you find people that you just jive with, it's worth it. But sometimes you realize if there's something that's closer and more convenient to you and you've got so many things in your schedule, it can be convenient to find a group that's convenient to your home or your workplace. A lot of times people who live in outlying areas or people that tend to have to commute a long way to be able to find a group, they end up supplementing their support needs with online groups. A lot of times these groups that you may go to meet at in person will also have online options to keep the connection going between meetings. That makes a lot of sense to me. For our adult support group that we held here in Southwest Washington pre-COVID-19, we actually had people at points coming from Portland, from Longview, which is about 25 miles north, and even people as far away as Salem, which is about 30 miles. Sometimes if you find the right group that's a good fit for you, it's worth the travel. But at the same time, you just have to see if that's something that's important or necessary for you. What about the time and day of the week? Is that important? It's something certainly for you to think about. You might hear about this really awesome group that you want to be a part of, but it meets on a day when you already have a commitment with work or it meets when you have a commitment with your kid's school. That's going to be a deal breaker. So I think beforehand, that's one of those key things you need to be thinking about in terms of qualifying questions to see, are there certain days in your schedule which are going to work or not work? Some groups meet in the evenings to accommodate people who work. Others meet during the weekday. Sometimes this will change seasonally. For example, a lot of parenting groups may meet during the day during a school year, and this is obviously (laughs) pre-distance learning. But then when kids are out of school, they may meet in a park or somewhere during the summertime. You want to also think about frequency. Monthly groups and weekly groups are most common, but some groups may meet twice a month. Some may meet sporadically and some will have supplemental social get togethers. So you might have a meeting which is more about the actual support activity and then you might have another meeting that's more about the social stuff. Additionally, there's also support group series. It might be a particular topic that might be covered over a three to four week period. Those are usually themed. Those are things to consider as well. What are your needs? As I mentioned before, along with location, time and day are common deal breakers. So what about costs? Aren't all support groups free? No, they're not always free. And in fact, if a group is affiliated with a medical provider or a therapist, usually there's some sort of cost for materials. It really depends on what type of group you're talking about. Nonprofits may often make their groups free to try to be as accessible as possible, but there could be a suggested donation. There might be costs for food if you're meeting at a restaurant. It all really does depend. I think that in our area, a lot of groups try to make it as accessible as possible. So there are always options of free groups to attend. But if you're looking for a specific series type of group, or if you're looking for an affiliated group that has an educational component to it, understand that there may be costs for that education as well. Sometimes they can be waived by scholarships or paid through disability benefits if you have those. It's something to think about as well. That is something to think about. So expectations and rules, that seems important and ominous all at the same time. What do you mean by that? It shouldn't be ominous. You know, <laughs> pretty much anywhere you go, there's expectations and rules. We should want to know what they are. Essentially, what I'm talking about here is that if you're looking for a group to feel safe in, you want to learn in advance what the expectations and rules are. Simple ones would be if you're a parent and you have a child and you don't have access to childcare, can you bring along your children? For an autistic group, an adult group, 
We often get asked, can you bring along a support partner? Or a parent will contact us and say, can I come along? Or even an animal. Support animals. Are they allowed? That kind of thing. Is the environment fragrance-free? Is it in a really closed space? Is it very open? Other things to be thinking about. What about taboo topics? Politics is a common one. How is moderation handled? Now, when it comes to online groups, a lot of these rules are spelled out. For example, with a Facebook group, you have to agree to follow all of the rules before you can participate in the group. Other things to be thinking about would be if there's a confidentiality, privacy, or expectation statement at the beginning of each gathering. Now, this may not be something that's very elaborate, but it gives you a feel for whether the group is being run more professionally or if it's just more casually. And I'm not saying one way or another that one might be right or wrong. It's just something to consider, right? Well, it's important that in a group where you go in and you don't really know anybody there, if you're going to be sharing things that are really private about your family or about your children or other people, you want to keep those things safe. Right, right? absolutely. There's no real expectation of privacy a lot of times, as much as you would like to think so. The most private you could probably find in terms of expectations is if you're going through some sort of therapist-led group or where there is an expectation of confidentiality. I think that it's important if you have some of these concerns in advance, contact the group leader and ask what the expectations are and what might happen in a typical meeting. That's great advice to reach out ahead of time. So number eight is having guest speakers or pre-planned topics. Why is that important for people to consider? Some groups bring in guest speakers and allow you to attend even if you're not a regular group member. So that can be a really neat entry point to participating in a support group. Having support groups that have guest speakers can be a really positive way to learn about a topic that might be of interest to you And you don't necessarily have to have a lot of conversation back from your end. You might be able to just go and listen and take notes, but there isn't as much back and forth communication if you're feeling shy or you just want to lurk and sit in the background. At the same time, it gives you an opportunity to connect with some others who have similar interests or concerns. They often have a question and answer time in these meetings that have guest speakers. So it gives another opportunity to participate in a way that's going to be meaningful for you and your situation. Then there's some groups that are more of a moderated group with pre-planned topics. When you come in, there might be three or four main things that are going to be discussed. So it's important to know whether or not there is an openness to being able to share things that go off script or whether or not we're really just going to be talking about a specific thing like employment or housing or IEPs. I could see why that's important because a lot of people that I've met on the spectrum like to have things planned out and know what's going to be coming next or I'm going to be happening. Yeah, that's true. For example, in our support group for adults on the spectrum, we have a few different types of topics that we will have as talking points if the conversation starts to lull. But the idea is really to let people be able to share things that are on their mind and to be able to have it interactive more peer to peer. So there can be benefits to having both. In some cases, there's combinations where part of the group might be a discussion about one particular issue, and then the rest of the group might be open discussion. understand. So number nine is attitudes and beliefs, which I think is super important. Can we talk about that a little bit? Attitudes and beliefs ties in with demographics. I would describe it as being the culture of a group, right? No, that makes sense, the culture. 
I personally want to be in groups where I feel comfortable with the leadership that's there. I feel that it's a place that will embrace me, that will accept me. And I think that's a very important thing for people to consider when they're looking for a group. Do group leaders and founders and members impart a helpful and positive attitude? Is there support for someone who's a new member? Is there an opportunity for them to be able to find out additional resources after the group is over? Is the group one of those things where it's just coming and go? Or is it something that's trying to welcome you into a community or welcome you into the fold? You might want to also check out what kind of background or experience the leaders have, particularly if you're looking for a group that's going to help you with a specific topic. Another thing to be thinking about is, do you really feel safe to be able to be yourself there? If you need to cry or if you need to vent, do you feel that you are in a comfortable place among peers or is it toxic? The toxic groups tend to be more online, generally speaking, because if you're toxic in person, you're not going to have a group for very long or you'll just have a couple people (laughs) that want to moan and groan together, but you're not really going to have a very constructive group. Everybody certainly needs the chance to be able to vent and to be able to share their challenges and to be able to get support from one another. But the overall attitude should be at some point after we vent and we get these challenges out, we do want to try to work to move forward from them, right? And lift people up. And lift people up. Now, honestly, you could be having a bunch of people that are all having their worst day show up at the (laughs) meeting at the same time. So again, this is where dynamics change. You might not want to count out a group just because of one meeting. The next meeting might be a very different dynamic because you have different people there in the mix and different topics. You do want, though, to see whether different and opinions are handled respectfully. You do want there to be a moderator, or if there isn't a moderator, at least mutual respect among people to give different people a chance to talk, and that it isn't just one or two people that are doing all the talking if there are other people who would like to participate. That can be tricky because I've seen that before where there's a personality that comes into a, a meeting and they dominate the whole conversation. It's tricky allowing everybody to have a say. Yeah, it's not easy. And being an autistic woman myself and having participated in a lot of groups with other autistic people, this is an area where a lot of us have a challenge. Social dynamics can be challenging for a lot of us on the spectrum. Social cues, right? Right? So knowing when to stop talking about our interest, (laughs) that's where coming from that place of acceptance, that place of grace, being able to have patience and all of those different types of things. It may not be an ideal situation for everybody at every moment. But the whole attitude is that even though you just annoyed me, I'm going to accept you and embrace that. And we're going to still work it through because we all want each other to do better. And I've seen that happen in groups, especially in person. Afterwards, they they actually start chatting together or, or something like that. So the thing is that Our world is made up of very different people with very different opinions. Absolutely. (laughs) You can have people that are on completely different ends of the spectrum, whether it be autism spectrum or political spectrum or whatnot, become best of friends if there's that mutual respect respect and that willingness to listen and be open to viewpoints that are different than yours. And to that degree, I think it's really important in parent groups that there's an openness to listening to autistic viewpoints. Now, a lot of times you'll have autistic parents in the group parenting their own children who are autistic, but then sometimes you'll have parenting groups that are not really as open to listening to that autistic voice. A lot of times they mean well, it's just that they may be a little bit scared, not know what to expect. 
things. So it's just having that open mind to those things. I think another thing in terms of culture and attitudes and beliefs in groups is that the group lets you engage when you're ready. No one's being forced to have to participate if they don't want to. There can be a really big benefit from engaging with others who think and act differently, but sometimes you're just not in that frame of mind where you're ready to share and you don't want to be embarrassed, but you want to still listen. And especially if you're there the first time or second time and you're new, you just want to be able to be there and absorb before you feel comfortable enough. I would, in think, sharing. That, I would think that would be much more so of online groups and forums as well. Certainly in an online group, you can pretty much lurk for as much as you want <laughs> if it's a forum. However, if you're going to a, like a Zoom meeting or something and there's only four people in the room. <laughs> it's a little bit harder. We just need to come into support groups from the attitude that everybody that is showing up there is looking for some sort of support. And we all have a job to be able to help one another. Sometimes that's difficult. We may not be in a place where we feel we have anything contribute to helping one another. But what we contribute is our respect. What we contribute is our acceptance. What we contribute is a willingness to listen and learn. So I truly believe that everybody, new or veteran, can contribute something to groups. Because I've seen that as well, where one person may sit for an hour and a half in a meeting. They might say one thing, but that one thing was impacting someone else. Absolutely. And sometimes it might just be body language. Someone might just give you a smile or you or a nod of the head. Yeah. And that is affirming and that helps. This is something really hard to check out beforehand unless you're checking out forums. If you're checking out forums or online groups, I suggest going through a couple months of posts and seeing if there's kind of get a, a feel. culture, get a feel for it. And then the larger the group, the more personalities are in play and the more dynamics. You want to give people the benefit of the doubt by and large. If you're looking truly for support, you want to be in a place that overall intends to uplift people and support people. That doesn't mean that people can't vent and share their challenges and those types of things but you don't want it to become a toxic dump. So I believe that was a very good point. Thank uh, you. No problem. So we're almost out of time. Do you have any final thoughts for today's show? <laughs> yeah, so I realized this is a lot of content. I said nine points to ponder, but then I didn't tell you that underneath those nine points were... Sub, sub um, points, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we will give you a copy of the article. We will give you in the show notes the article as well as the points. There'll be a transcript. This is really something for you to think about. It's to get started. In summary, there's many benefits in finding a support group that meets your needs. But I believe, and this goes back to John's original question about what is one of the biggest challenges that we hear in our work in autism empowerment, is that finding support can help you feel less lonely in your journey. It can make you feel less alone. You know that other people get it. They may not relate to your exact circumstance, but they can relate to a similar circumstance. And certainly they're not judging you. They're embracing you and saying, hey, we've got this together. So after you've pondered the different points that we've discussed, take time to put together that list of your priorities. Once you do that, once you have that list of priorities, your deal breakers, your must-haves, your like-to-haves, your I really don't know, but I'm thinking this might be good to have, once you do that, take time to research the many different options that are within our community. If you're neutral or positive about a group, 
make sure to try it out more than once before you decide if it's right for you. Ideal groups will promote a feeling of acceptance and empowerment and the opportunity for connection and potential friendships. The right group will help you feel safe, supported, understood, and empowered in your journey. Whether you're on the autism spectrum, a parent, a sibling, a caregiver, a spouse, or a family friend. So the big question then becomes, after you've done that, how do you find those groups? How do you find the right fit? Hey, I'm supposed to ask the questions. (laughs) Let me go ahead and turn that over to John. So... How do you find those groups? <laughs> <laughs> I do not want you to be out of a job, John. <laughs> Thanks. Good job. We will have some resources for you in the show notes about places that you can find groups. You don't have to listen to the next show in order to get those resources. We'll still have a lot of those there for you. But we do invite you to come back to the next episode because in the next episode, we'll be diving deep into some of the different regional and nationwide groups that are out there. We'll be teaching you some quick and easy strategies to find groups and online forums that are of benefit to you and your loved ones. As mentioned in the beginning of the show, we'll also be covering questions you can ask yourself or others to vet different groups or forums, different search tips that will help you cut through the clutter, strategies to encourage a loved one to seek support, and then finally, benefits and pitfalls of different types of groups. Those are all great points. I'm looking forward to our next show and looking forward to going deep on some of those. Now I'll turn it back to you for closing us out. John, thank you so much for taking the time to discuss this. It's an important topic. It's an essential topic. It's something that we all could benefit from. Support. We appreciate you hanging out with us and thank you for your time. You've been listening to the Autism Empowerment Podcast. If you'd like to get connected with our community, as well as all the great support and content we have planned for the future, please hit the subscribe button and visit www.autismempowermentpodcast.org for show notes, transcripts, social media details, Spectrum Life magazine, and more. As a 501c3 nonprofit charity, we rely upon support from listeners like you to produce our podcast and other programs. We appreciate you considering a tax-deductible donation. Thank you again.